morning. Let's see, I've got a couple of slides today, so if you uh, are going to be studying some paintings, getting your uh, art lesson for the day, so uh, if you can't see the screen, I'll uh, move around for you guys so you guys can see a little bit better. Actually, I'll stay here, okay. If, um, if you have a baby, or if you know anyone who's had a baby, or if you've ever been around a baby, that should get all of us, right? You know that babies are really good at lots of things, but maybe one of the biggest things they're good at is disrupting our lives, right? Uh, when everything is at peace, babies come and rattle your chains and really uh, you know, just disrupt what's going on in our lives. Babies seem to be good at that. Um, just last week, there was a flight that was diverted uh, on its way to Orlando, probably a bunch of people going to Disney World, um, but a mom gave birth mid-flight and they had to make an emergency landing. And it's just another, another reminder of how babies disrupt our lives. And my kids are no exception to that. Uh, seven years and one week ago, my Caleb was born. Um, we were at uh, Montgomery General Hospital up in Olney here in uh, Montgomery County. And Janet had been in labor for uh, lots and lots of hours. Um, and the doctors decided all of a sudden that they were going to do uh, a C-section. To me, it seemed like an emergency C-section because my wife is a nurse and she had prepared me for everything except for C-sections because she wasn't going to have a C-section. So uh, I felt like, she tells the story a little differently, but I felt like we were running down the hallway and I was putting my scrubs on as you know, the doctors were all yelling. It seemed very chaotic to me. We get down there and uh, they begin the operation and uh, Part of the way through the operation, Janet had some negative reactions to the medicine that they were giving her, to the pain medication. And it was really messing with her. And so she, over and over and over again, was throwing up, passing out, throwing up, passing out, throwing up, passing out. And the doctors couldn't get Caleb out because he was so big. So eventually they pop him out and they're holding him and I'm all excited and they bring Caleb over to me and they've cleaned him up and everything. I'm looking at him, I'm a dad. And I look, I show Janet and she throws up and passes out. So. The doctor looks at me and, uh, and says, all right, uh, it's time for you, Dad, to take Caleb to the nursery. Um, and I said, I'm not leaving her. And they said, you don't have a choice. You need and I said, I'm not leaving her. This is what it is. I'm staying here. Because I thought she was dying, you know. Um, uh, but eventually I did go down. Janet did live. She's over there taking care of the children now. But uh, <laughs> babies are very good at disrupting our lives. And Christmas is a good reminder of that, of how... Babies not only disrupt our lives, but they also change our lives in great ways. And Jesus was the biggest example of that. Jesus came on Christmas, and this is a time when we celebrate a baby who disrupted more than just his parents' lives. He disrupted the status quo. He changed everything um, and set the world on a new course. Uh, as Aaron said earlier um, last week, Advent is a season of irrational hope. It's a time when we have this divine expectation that the Christ is coming to save us. Uh, and it doesn't really make sense to a lot of people. Um, and it also is not necessarily the best of things, right? Nobody likes to wait. And so a season of waiting, you're getting all excited and um, ready, but it's also tough to wait, right? We don't like traffic. We don't like waiting for our food. So we have fast food restaurants everywhere. We don't like commercials. We have commercial free TV. We don't even go shopping anymore, right? How many of you bought all of your gifts on Amazon, right? I mean, you know, we just are an impatient people and we don't like waiting. Well, the Christmas story in Luke chapter 1 and 2, over and over and over and over again, you run into people who are waiting. Mary and Joseph are awaiting their baby boy, Jesus, who would be born. 
um, unsure of what their future would hold, and so they're anxiously waiting. Mary's relative, Elizabeth, is pregnant with who would become John the Baptist, and she's anxiously awaiting um, because prophecies have been foretold about her son, John the Baptist, that he would be this great guy, and she's a little anxious and nervous about that. Her husband, Zechariah, who was one of the priests, um, had had an encounter earlier with an angel who had told him that his wife was going to have a child, and he said, no way, my wife's too old. And so the angel said, well, now you won't be able to talk until the child is born. So Zachariah is anxiously awaiting being able to talk again. Then we have Simeon and Anna, two prophets who we'll see later in the story, have been waiting at the temple for the Messiah to arrive. Simeon has been staying alive just to meet the Messiah. Everyone is waiting. In fact, the entire Jewish nation is waiting for a Messiah Aaron talked last week about how they're anxiously hoping for, aching for this Messiah to come. And Aaron talked about, you should listen to the sermon, Aaron talked about um, how they're, they were hoping for restoration of the land, um, of the temple, and of the Torah. But the Jews were a weary people. They had centuries of being um, abused, oppressed, becoming slaves, being conquered over and over again, being refugees themselves fleeing from people who were trying to harm them. Um, the Jews had had a rough time. And on top of all of that, the Jews had, were just getting over a 400-year period where the thing that made them special, which was their connection to God, had been cut off. For 400 years, God had been silent. And now the Jews were wondering what made them so special. So they're anticipating, hoping for this new kingdom to come where they would be put back in a, power, a, a position of power, where they would be put back in a place where they would have a voice um, and where they would no longer be oppressed. But the truth of the matter is that when Jesus comes, it turns out that everyone's hopes were way too small. Everyone was hoping for little things, but God came through Jesus in these incredible ways. King, kings and kingdoms will disappoint us over and over again. And this wasn't just the case for the Jews, it's the case for us as well. Um, we hope too small, I think, when it comes to things that we ask God we ask God, can you just get me through this illness? Can you just get me through paying off this piece of debt or just get me through college or just get me through whatever? We have these small hopes when really God has come to bring so much more to your life and he's come to bring so much more to the world. And so today we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about how this Advent season we celebrate the coming of a king whose upside down kingdom didn't just change lives, it changed the world. The Christmas story doesn't actually begin in the beginning of the New Testament. Matthew chapter 1 is not the beginning of the Christmas story. John's gospel reminds us that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He's talking about Jesus. From the beginning in creation, in Genesis chapter 1, the first words of the Bible, God was with Jesus, and they were creating together. And if you remembered, what they created was good, right? and they were happy with what they had created. It was complete. Um, it was real. It was a word um, that the Jews use called shalom, and it's this word that means peace. Maybe you've heard this word before. You've heard shalom, and uh, maybe you have some um, interactions with Jewish friends, and you know that shalom means peace. But really, peace, if you were to talk with a Jew about what the word uh, shalom means, peace is not nearly big enough to really encapsulate what the word really means. Shalom is peace, but it's peace because of completeness. It's peace because everything is in order. Everything is in its right place. 
and that's why there is peace. And so shalom is this really big concept, and that's what happened in Genesis 1. God had created, and everything was in harmony, and everything was good and complete, and that's why on the seventh day, God rested, because everything was shalom. It sounds really amazing when you stop to think about it, right? Shalom sounds like something you would want. It's something that I want. It's something that I think everyone strives for, to feel complete, to be whole. No longer disconnected, no longer uh, separated or undone, but to be at peace. To be at peace in troubled times, when uh, things are going rough, and to not, uh, to recognize that peace is with you, but also to be at peace in good times, right? Sometimes life is good and we're still not at peace because we're unsatisfied with the past or we're unsure about the future. And so um, we're still not at peace even when things are good in our lives. But God comes to bring shalom. And even though it really seems uh, unlikely in this world that we live in, in the real world, he did come to bring it. I know for some of you, uh, the Christmas season is not a peaceful time. Um, Christmas is like any other season in that uh, folks die, right? And so you may have a family member who passed away during this time. You may, uh, going back to be with family might remind you of rifts in your family or difficulties. It might not be a fun time. It might not be presence and excitement to you. Um, But whatever Christmas is, I hope that uh, you can recognize that shalom is something that we can all have. Even if it feels like we've been striving, we've been working, we've been trying to climb the ladder, trying to get to a place where uh, we really do have peace, it seems like sometimes we're, we just can't get there. And so I wonder some, you know, I wondered, how did we get here? How did we get to a place where Shalom was so messed up? And if you look back at Genesis chapter 3, after God created, he created man, and then he gave man and woman just a few rules, and they broke them, right? Adam and Eve eat of the apple, and when they eat of the apple, Shalom is disrupted, it's messed up, it's broken. And now things are not complete and they're not at peace. And Adam and Eve are kicked out of the garden and separated from God. And all of a sudden the world starts to look a little more chaotic and a little more messy. And sin enters into the world. Sin is really a word that um, has gotten a bad rap. Um, it's a word that is a churchy word, right? That people aren't comfortable with. We don't, you don't probably talk with your coworkers about sin, right? It's not an everyday conversation. It's just not a fun thing to talk about. But I think part of that is because it's been misdefined. Oftentimes we hear that sin is um, bad things that we do that violate God's laws. And that is true, but I think that's incomplete. That's just a piece of what sin is. I want to read to you a quote from this guy named Cornelius Plantinga. He's a um, he's actually a Calvinist, um, but he wrote this great quote, and I just want to read it to you guys about sin. He says that sin is disruption of created harmony, and then it's our resistance to divine restoration of that harmony. God hates sin, not just because it violates the law, but more substantively because it violates shalom, because it breaks the peace, because it interferes with the way things are supposed to be. So maybe a better definition of sin would be shalom disrupted. So how do we get back to shalom? How do we return to a time when things are complete and when our lives feel complete and when we can be at peace? Well, if you look back in Genesis chapter 1, we see that peace doesn't come from war. Peace doesn't come from struggle or from strife. Peace doesn't come from takeovers or more laws or enforcement of them. 
we see that God comes and he brings the kingdom in a new way. And he achieves peace in a way that the world is not used to. And it's a very different and radical way. If sin is separation from God, if it's a disruption in our connection to him, then we have to seek a different way to restore that connection, a different way to come back in connection with him and achieve shalom. So we see that true and lasting peace comes from the creator himself, from the one who brought peace from God. Peace from the very beginning was God's goal. He wanted everything to be at peace in the garden, and it was. And then when we disrupted it, ever since then, um, the mission of God, the missio Dei, is that God has been working to restore creation, to bring it back to its original purposes. That's what God is at work doing in our lives, and that's why God sends Jesus, to restore that connection and to restore shalom, peace in our worlds. That's why Jesus came. That was his mission and purpose. Have you ever felt like you finally, like, found that thing you were born to do. For me, when I was a kid, my dad, he's an awesome guy, he's my hero, but he made us play sports when I was a kid, right? Three different sports we had to play. We always were playing sports, right? Basketball, soccer, baseball. Well, I realized pretty early on that I was not born to play baseball. I was pretty terrible at baseball. Um, And then when I got into college, I realized as I was pursuing um, a degree in physical therapy that I was not born to do math. But... When I look back at my life, a time when I really felt like I had achieved, like I had found, this is what I was born to do, it was on my 16th birthday when I got behind the wheel of a car, and I knew, sitting there in that seat, that I had arrived, that this is what I was born to do and make people happy. So if you ever need a driver for anything, i happily do that. Uh, my pipe dream, don't tell everyone, but my pipe dream uh, is to be an over-the-road truck driver, so someday maybe that's what you'll see me doing, but Jesus knew what he was born for. He knew what he had come for, and he had come to restore shalom uh, to our lives. So I want to take a look at the Christmas story. Um, We're going to be in the book of Luke, um, but we're going to be jumping all over the place, so I just put all the scripture up on the screen. But if you want to take a look at it later, it's the book of Luke, um, the first uh, three chapters. Luke, the author of this um, book, is really important because he was the only non-Jewish so Gentile, he was the only non-Jewish author in the New Testament. And so Luke's words carry with it a little bit different connotations than the rest of the authors. Luke was also a doctor, so he was prone to detail. He was very excited about, like, if, I don't know if you know people like that who love details, right? This is who Luke was. In fact, in the beginning of his book, he says, I just wanted to collect all of the details so that you would have all of the facts. That's basically what he says in the beginning. Like, this is the whole story. And so... In Luke's story of Christmas, um, we see that the journey begins uh, in a place called Nazareth. And so I want to pull up a map here for you. Um, Nazareth was in the north, um, and it was the place where Mary conceives Jesus, and it's where she finds out that she's pregnant. Um, And so you'll see it way up there. This is uh, overlaid with a current-day map. So you see Israel in orange, the West Bank in the dark orange. So uh, Joseph and Mary are up in Nazareth. They found out they're pregnant with Jesus. Um, they get word that the Romans are trying to do a census, right? And they're trying to count how many people are in their massive empire. And so they call everyone to return to their hometown. Joseph's people are from the line of David. And so they return to the city of David, which is Bethlehem, uh, which is down in the West Bank. And so they traveled all the way down there. This is a journey 
that would have taken 35 hours to walk, um, and it was just over 100 miles. So it would be like walking from the White House to Richmond, Virginia. So if you've ever driven that stretch of road, it's like the worst stretch of road ever. But imagine walking it. Um, this is what Joseph did with his pregnant wife. Um, they made this journey. Uh, and I love the way, um, when I was in college, we studied um, Christian art and Christian music and all these different things. And one of my favorite artists that we studied uh, was a Japanese artist named He Chi. You're going to want to look it up later. He spells his name H-E, and his last name is Q-I, He Chi. Um, and so we're going to take a look at some of his art. He Chi captures in uh, this first piece of art called Nativity, he captures the original birth scene. Um, and I'll move out of the way a little bit. The first thing that you'll notice is that there are swirling lines everywhere, right? And so if you look at the rest of his paintings, this one is perhaps the most chaotic. And he intentionally is trying to point out the fact that it was a not-so-silent night, right? We, we hear the song Silent Night, and we imagine, you know, Jesus not being like any other baby and not crying, just silently laying there and, you know, smiling. Um, but really what it would have looked like was a lot more chaotic. And so he's bringing that to light. You see Joseph over here holding the lantern, uh, looking out, trying to protect Jesus. You see Mary protecting Jesus by leaning over him. The shepherds fearfully looking up at the angel. Every time angels show up in this story, it says, everyone was terrified. Um, so it's not what you see in your little nativity with the little sweet angels, like, you know, and everyone singing and smiling. It, it would have been a terrifying experience. Um, it was not a silent night. And the chaos of that night... Um, really represents well what Jesus came into. When he came into the world, he entered into a world where shalom had been disrupted. He entered into a place where the world was chaotic. And this picture really um, helps to point that out. I love, I love this painting. Um, in Luke chapter 2, verse 13, it says, Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared, um, with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to those uh, on whom his favor rests. Jesus came to bring peace. He came to bring rest. He came to be, bring completeness and shalom. He came to bring it to the individual in your life. He came to bring it um, to you in a way that is personal and that changes you in your life. But Jesus also came to bring peace to the world. He came to bring peace to the governments, to bring peace to creation. Jesus came on such a bigger scale than I think we really give him credit for. We talk about our personal interaction with him, but Jesus came on a huge scale to bring back shalom. So at this point in the story, Jesus has been born, and 40 days after he's born, uh, according to Jewish tradition, he would have Mary and Joseph, as we read in the story, take him back to Jerusalem um, for purification. And when they get to Jerusalem, they interact with two people who have been waiting for years to meet the Messiah. Simeon is the first, and Simeon uh, is this uh, much older man who has literally said, God, just keep me alive so I can meet the Messiah. And he meets him, and he's overjoyed, and he says um, to God, now you can dismiss your servant in peace. Like, I'm ready to die. He's been waiting his whole life in anticipation of Jesus to come. And so he prophesies some about the great things he will do. And then they meet Anna, another prophet, um, and she blesses the family. She has actually been living in the temple ever since her husband died. 
And so for years, she's been living in the temple, praising God, waiting for the Messiah to come. There were so many people who were anticipating his arrival. So from the temple, they return back to Bethlehem. And this is the time when the Magi come to visit, right? This is the time we three kings, all these songs, right? This is when they come. They weren't there at the original birth. Um, They came at a much later time. Hachi captures in his next piece of artwork called The Gifts of the Magi, he kind of captures this scene. Now you can see this one is a lot more calm, not the swirling lines and stuff, much more structured. We see the three gifts um, that the kings have brought, and according to Christian tradition, we say that the gifts are gold, uh, which represents his kingship here on earth, frankincense, which was like just our modern-day incense, um, which would have represented the fact that he would be a sacrifice to God, and then myrrh, which was an embalming fluid. Um, And so it was a marker of the fact that Jesus would someday die. Um, What a a gift to bring to a king when he's born, right? Like, hey, someday you're going to die. Here you go. Um, But all those cool gifts, and you can see that they're not looking at the gifts. They're all focused on Jesus. Even the animals are looking down at Jesus. And it's a reminder in this picture, as everyone's focused on Jesus, that he came in the most unimposing peaceful way possible. Jesus, he's God, right? He could have come down like on a bolt of lightning. This is probably how I would have done it, right? Come down on a bolt of lightning with like the biggest brass band playing and like all this excitement and fanfare, lights shining on me. No, Jesus comes in a silent stable, right? Like in uh, in the middle of nowhere in this tiny little town that had been forgotten. Um, He comes in the most unimposing peaceful way possible a vulnerable God in human form. One of the interesting things about this story, about this picture, is that Jesus is holding an apple, and you'll notice in most of Hutchie's paintings he's holding an apple. That's representative of the fact that Jesus came to take away the sins of man. Um, and so even in this picture, we're reminded of what Jesus' future will be and how, he'll, how he will bring uh, peace to this world. T.S. Eliot said, The hint half-guessed, the gift gift half understood is incarnation. Incarnation is simply God. It's not simple at all. It was God coming to earth, God becoming man. He took on carne, right? He he took, put on skin. It says in John chapter 1 verse 14, this is what happens when God puts on flesh and moves into the neighborhood. This is what it looks like, Jesus. The incarnation is so significant for us as Christians because it reminds us that Jesus is the big picture of God's mission, of the Missio Dei. His, God's biggest, best tool, his best um, useful instrument was Jesus, and it still is Jesus today. He is the one who brings about restoration in a true and meaningful way, and he is the one uh, who we're called to come to get to know. Jesus becomes, if you think about it in terms of electricity, Jesus becomes... Uh, the ultimate conductor for peace. He's the one who gets peace to us. He's the one who reconnects us with God and peace begins to flow from heaven and earth, from heaven to earth again. By becoming man, Jesus has connected mankind back to the source of peace. It's kind of like Clark Griswold, right? On Christmas vacation, right? When he is reconnecting the lights and everyone's like so excited. Ah, it worked, you know? This is what Jesus does. He's reconnecting us to peace. He's bringing us back to this connection that we had with God. And now all of a sudden, as human beings, we become incredibly significant in creation. 
We're no longer just a part of earth. We're no longer just a part of it. No, God thought so highly of humans that he, that he used a human to become, uh, he sent his son to become a human to live out peace here on earth in that way. And so we are now called to live in the same ways, to become a conduit, to channel God's peace back into earth. Dan White says it this way, incarnation is where the theological rubber meets the road. It's the space where our bodies and beliefs meet. As Christians, the incarnation ties the spiritual and the physical world together. It it brings them together very nice and neatly. And in the person of Jesus, we see that our human bodies aren't a waste, that we have a purpose, that we've been given what we have, uh, our gifts and our time, our talents, our treasures. We've been given these things for a purpose. The incarnate God, Jesus, was born into a time and place where shalom was absent, like we saw in the first painting. And in the second painting, we see that he now has become the focus, and he's the one who is bringing peace. After the Magi come and visit, Joseph gets a vision, um, and an angel tells him, go to Egypt. The reason that the angel's telling them to flee to Egypt is because Herod the Great uh, is a ruler um, appointed by the Romans who's ruling over Jerusalem, and he finds out that Jesus is being born. If you know the Christmas story, you know that the Magi went to him and said, where is this great king? We want to go and worship him. And Herod said, what king? Oh, tell me about this. And then you see as he becomes more and more jealous of Jesus, and in fact, issues a decree that all baby boys born within that year would be slaughtered in the town and around Bethlehem. And so even in this bloodthirsty uh, time, Jesus continues to bring peace. Um, It's incredible that Jesus becomes like the video earlier. He became a refugee on the run from a king who was trying to kill him on the run and left, leaving his nation, his family, leaving what they knew, what they were comfortable with, their families, and, and living on the run. Jesus got to experience what it was like to be a refugee. It's so interesting as you look at his story, and the next painting we're going to look at is Hachi's Escape to Egypt. And in every, every painting, every piece of the story, you see over and over again, be us little reminders of the chaos Jesus came into and what he would save his people from. And this painting is, uh, it helps us uh, illustrate that. The pyramids in the back uh, reminisce and remind us of uh, Bible characters who had escaped to and from Egypt. Think of Joseph and Moses, um, the entire Jewish people. Uh, the pyramid to the left um, appears to be falling um, with the shadow, and that's to illustrate that earthly powers will someday crumble, but Jesus' power is forever, and it will not crumble or um, age. It will continue. Uh, The line through Jesus' face is the most important thing I want to draw your attention to in this one. Um, The diagonal line going through Jesus' face is to represent his humanity and his divinity, both sides, that he came uh, as a God to become a human to save us um, and to bring back shalom. After Egypt, um, they returned to Nazareth. Herod has died, and so they returned back to their home after all of this chaos, and that's where the Christmas story ends, and that's where uh, the ministry of Jesus soon will begin. Just in the beginning of Jesus' life, in the first hours of his life, he fulfilled so many prophecies. Throughout Jesus' life, he fulfilled over 300 prophecies, 29 prophecies in just one day. That might not be impressive to you, but 
uh, I guess I should tell you, a, a prophecy, in case you don't know, is basically um, it's a truth that is foretold uh, long in advance. And so some of these prophecies were hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus would come. He fulfilled over 300 of them. There are these mathematicians who did uh, this. They worked out all the numbers to see what the odds are of one person fulfilling eight of these 300, just eight of these prophecies. And the odds are uh, one in 10 to the 17th power. So that's a quintillion, um, which is a really, really big number. I was going to write it up on the board, but it would take me a long time. That's a lot of zeros. Um, that's just fulfilling eight of them. He fulfilled over 300 of them. And so many of those prophecies were about peace. In fact, uh, the one that I want to call your attention to today is in Isaiah chapter 9, uh, verses 6 and 7, uh, where Isaiah foretold, he said, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. Jesus, by subverting the earthly ways of assuming power through war and instead coming in a peaceful way as a baby and living out peace throughout his life and throughout his ministry and even to submitting to death on a cross, Jesus comes in this crazy way that puts the world on a new axis. It's, it begins the world revolving around peace now instead of um, difficulty and strife and struggle. The world now is put... Uh, back into its place, and shalom is beginning to be restored through him. It's a world where death is no longer feared because Jesus conquered it. It's a world where the cross, which used to be a symbol of fear and terror, um, is now a symbol of love and peace. How Only a God could do that and take such a terrible symbol and make it into such a beautiful thing. Christ's peaceable com- kingdom becomes the hope of the world. That's what it is. It's a peaceable kingdom. And so as we get really practical here to close out, um, I just want to ask the question, what can I do to become a conduit of shalom from heaven to earth? And there are lots of things that you can do in Scripture, um, and there are lots of things uh, that you can do in your life. And I would love to share more of them with you, but uh, I just want to share with you two ideas um, that I think would be really good for you this season. Um, and to continue to live out, but especially here in this Christmas season. And the first is just to live peaceably. Jesus came in a peaceful way. He lived his life in a peaceful way. He never fought. Um, He continued to be peaceful over and over and over again in the face of uh, struggles that you and I would have not been peaceful in. Um, But try this season to not act out of anger. Try to not try to seek revenge or an equaling of wrongs. Don't try and set the scales back in place. Let God do that. Instead, try peacefully laying down your rights. Try taking the privileges that you have and setting them aside to benefit others. Give that a try. Try to live in a peaceful way. The second suggestion I have, um, I don't know which one would be more difficult for you. This one might be more difficult. Um, This one, we are called um, throughout Scripture to be as Christians, ministers of reconciliation. And so if you are a Christian, it's your job to help God on his mission, restoring the world back to its original intent. It's your job to bring peace back to earth. And so think about relationships in your life, in your world, 
that you need to do some reconciling in. Maybe it's just a neighbor, right? Maybe there's a petty little spat. One of my neighbors is spatting with another one about the property line, right? And every couple of months, the county comes out and sprays a bright orange line down the middle of the yard. Um, maybe that's what it is, and you just need to go and, uh, you know, say, okay, you know, I'll let you have your property. You know, is there any way I can help? Or maybe it's something, maybe it's a long, serious rift that's in your family. Christmas is a time when maybe you get to be around family that you're not around the rest of the year. Maybe there's a serious rift in your family and you um, feel like, I hope, that God is calling you to reconcile in that time and to bring peace. What would Christmas look like if instead of the tension and the arguing and the frustration, if instead everyone was at peace and you could really rest and you could really um, experience the beauty of Shalom? Shalom doesn't need to be interrupted anymore. It doesn't need to happen because the perfect, complete creation of God is here. And we're called to bring that about. You can know this peace by accepting Jesus Christ. If you have questions about that or you want to talk more about that, I would love to. Aaron and Carrie, there are lots of people wearing badges who would love to talk to you about what it looks like having Jesus in your life and this peace becoming an all-encompassing part of your life. It's my prayer that this Christmas season you'll experience peace and that it will come from Christ and that you will be a minister of reconciliation, that you will begin entering into God's work of bringing shalom back into your life. I want to close out with a blessing of peace um, that uh, God spoke to Moses in Numbers chapter 6. It says this, May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you shalom.